Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, my co-host Gayatri is in conversation with Dan Balkowski, the founder and chief pricing officer at Product Tranquility, a company that helps high-volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new products. In this conversation, he talks about his student days in 1999 and getting into the peak of the dot-com boom, getting a job in Austin initially, and then moving into an engineering manager's role, which included envisioning product roadmaps, developing an interest in articulating the value of solutions, and then signing up for an MBA and doing work in the area of pricing and not finding too many courses that dealt with this. Learning by seeing the mistakes made by others during mergers and acquisitions made him feel stronger and he set up this company about four years ago. He also talks about how he learns from other experts as well as books and uh, his views and recommendations on pricing during an inflated economy period, the impact of COVID on pricing patterns in both hardware and software, and much more. Listen on. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Software People Stories. So happy to have you here. Thank you for having me, Gayatri. I'm excited for a conversation today. Dan, I know you are the founding as well as a great member of Product Tranquility. I have heard many of your podcasts. I would like you to introduce yourself with our uh, listeners. My name is Dan Balkowski. I am the founder and chief pricing officer at Product Tranquility. We are a small consultancy based in Austin, Texas, USA where we focus on helping high-volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new and existing products. I'll probably start from the beginning, right? I know you have a degree in computer science from Iowa, and then you also did your MBA from Kellogg. Um, and uh, I see you have been part of several incubation products, and that's how you are getting into the product consulting. Uh, get us all started as to, after your degree, what you have done and what is your, uh, you know, reason for getting into the product side of things? Yeah, well, uh, so it was computer engineering and not computer science. And it was uh, Iowa State, not Iowa. Iowa is our bitter, bitter rival here in the U.S. But I wouldn't expect you to know that uh, uh, if you were overseas. Um, but uh, yeah, so University of Iowa and Iowa State, not the same school. Uh, also, we are not Ohio State, which is another common uh, mistake. But no, I, uh, I went and studied computer engineering. You know, I was a bright-eyed high school senior in 1999 so think peak dot com era taking ap computer science courses you know the dream of going and getting a computer engineering degree and you know multi-millionaire by 25 years old as everyone in the dot com era thought they were going to be and so went and studied uh, computer engineering uh, got a job out of school with a company down here in austin that's how i ended up down in austin and 
really was a fantastic company, fantastic experience, but I learned very quickly that you know, the computer didn't care how angry I got at it. It uh, still wouldn't run the code that I wrote, and I found that it wasn't the best suited for my personality. Now, ultimately, I worked my way into more of engineering management uh, role, and in the company I was at, the engineering managers owned the product roadmap. It was kind of an interesting industry and organization where it was very engineering led. It was, you know, very much you know, people talk about the early days of, of Google and how engineering friendly it was. You know, we had 20% time before Google had 20% time for engineers. So if you had 20% of your time as an engineer, you could go work on fun side projects, right? And that's the, the legend behind products like Gmail, for example, we had very similar things. And therefore, you know, that it was, it was founded by engineers. The leadership team was, was all engineers, PhD, electrical engineers. And therefore they were like, we're building, we're engineers building tools for engineers. We know what the pro the customers want. And so engineering owned product roadmaps was part of my responsibility as an engineering manager, you know, and responsibility for, you know, QA lead, dev lead, uh, project manager, personnel manager, also product manager, although we didn't call it that. And I realized very quickly that you know, my interests align much more with, wait, how are these things that we're building, how do they create value for customers and dollars and cents for the business? And ultimately, as I realized that that was kind of my long-term goal, I was like, looking around, I'm like, I'm not going to learn how to do this at a world-class level here. Um, again, with the, the way that company was structured, great from an engineering perspective, but, you know, definitely some weaknesses on product management front. So that led me to pursue my MBA. You know, I went to a very strong marketing program. I didn't realize it then, but was very lucky. I didn't find out till much later that very few business schools have courses in pricing. So I received a lot of my theoretical grounding in, in pricing and product management when I was at Kellogg. And, you know, long story short, post MBA, I spent a lot of time still on what I'd call the value creation side, product management, product strategy. You know, much of the company was acquiring other small bootstrapped software businesses. So I got to see a lot of mistakes in both product and pricing that those early stage companies make. Uh, so it was a really accelerated learning experience there. Um, and also with my background, I ended up getting pulled into a lot of pricing exercises for the products I was a product manager for just because of my you know, background in a couple of different areas. Other folks kind of looked at each other, realized, hey, we don't really know how to do this either. Uh, so cut my teeth and a lot of made a lot of mistakes. You know, some of the theoretical grounding I got in business school, you realize, well, that might work in a consumer packaged goods if I'm pricing soup or shampoo, but necessarily doesn't work for pricing software. So made a lot of mistakes there, but ultimately, you know, learned uh, proper ways to go about it and went off on my own about four years ago after you know, multiple product strategy and leadership roles. And been, now I just focus on you know, helping you know, B2B SaaS CEOs and their teams build profitable businesses and helping them fulfill their company's mission. Fantastic, Dan. There is so much to unpack from your introduction. So I will uh, start with your current firm, right? Uh, I know you are you, you are an expert in terms of pricing, particularly for the SaaS uh, solutions, and uh, and this is also a very very dynamic environment to change. While you got your interest in pricing, 
how have you skilled yourself to be able to help in uh, companies in this area uh, yeah it's a it's a it's a constant learning process you know i learn stuff every day um, there's definitely folks I follow on LinkedIn and follow their blogs and uh, watch videos, uh, read a lot of books. Um, you know, some of it is, you know, learn through practice. I learn a lot from from clients. Um, there's definitely groups of us pricing experts out there who get together in little communities and, and, and share uh, notes and, and tricks. So I'm a, a member of some of those. I say a lot of my fundamental learning, though, I get from a lot of books, especially books written by other uh, consultants who have been doing this for years or decades, you know, and been lucky to have a, a couple of uh, mentors as well who have you know, done this for, for decades. So, you know, between you know, standard structured learning, going all the way back to MBA, you know, experiential learning of, you know, doing it wrong a few times, kind of seeing what worked, you know, work, continuing to work with clients, you know, structured, you know, approaches to, you know, I'm constantly reading, you know, my, uh, my, my reading list might bore, you know, the tears of, of other, other people, because I've probably read every single pricing book that there is. I listen to pricing podcasts, uh, I hang out in pricing Slack groups. Uh, so that's, you know, it's, it's a never ending uh, journey to, to continue to refine my understanding of the space. That's amazing, Dan. In fact, what you're saying is essentially, uh, A, you know the fundamentals from the group, but also continue to assimilate what's happening and learn from the clients. In fact, learning from the clients and actually doing it is the best way there is to learn something and uh, you, you and eventually you become the expert at it. What are your views on pricing with inflation in here? There's so much of inflation happening across the globe. In uh, particularly, mm. if it's a SaaS software, which is global in nature. So mm. what type of advice you have for people? Yeah, yeah. Well, so there's a there's a bunch of interrelated issues there. And uh, for those of you who, who are interested, I, I write fairly regularly on my blog at ProductTranquility.com. But uh, I, I have a really in-depth post on pricing during inflation that I have there. Uh, I'll give a, a quick kind of overview uh, for the listeners. I think that you mentioned a, a couple of different threads in each of those. I think we could probably spend 30 minutes on. So uh, I w I will, I'll give a, a quick touch uh, so we don't uh, lose our, our audience entirely. The first thing you mentioned is price localization. Uh, or one of the things you mentioned is price localization, right? If we're pricing in multiple geographies, that's an entire sort of topic uh, in and of itself. Um, I'm going to set that aside for for right now. Um, pricing during inflation is is interesting. So, you know, I think one thing that we really we saw happen is during the pandemic that we all you know, suffered through uh, this, you know psychological worldwide experiment that we none of us signed up for uh, that I'm sure we'll be studying the effects of for years on end. You know, in my world of pricing, one of the things that happened is companies saw that the world was in crisis. And there were some interesting pricing things that happened. I was actually just listening to a podcast the other day and a guy was talking about he was responsible for uh, New York State had paid him $40 million at the height of the COVID outbreak to go acquire ventilators from China. And what was a $6,000 ventilator uh, one day 
a month later was they were going on the market for like three hundred thousand dollars each. So yeah, within the pandemic, right, for ventilators, for 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 yeah, you saw that happen. Um, there were some other interesting things that happened, right? Where um, I I I happened at the time, you know, everyone went remote, and if you recall, what happened is all of everyone realized, oh, I've got to work from home. I don't have a microphone. I don't have a webcam. Well, Logitech and Yeti and all of the microphone and webcam manufacturers, they all ran out of stock. So you go to Amazon, you know, or wherever it might be, wherever you live. And they were, you know, the from the manufacturer, how you'd normally purchase, were out of stock. And maybe it was $40 for a, a webcam. Well, you could buy secondhand someone reselling it for $400. So you saw that kind of behavior, right? Or hand sanitizer. But in software, it was a little bit different, right? Software didn't have this marginal cost of goods problem and supply is relatively unconstrained, right? We just copy more bits, right? It doesn't cost us any more to produce. So there's supply constraint didn't hit software. And instead, software came to this sort of crucial need. And so software companies kind of looked at this and we're like, we don't want to get painted as the bad guy. You know, we might have normal price increases, say five or 10% a year on a normal time. But this is sort of crisis times. We don't want to be look like we're taking advantage of folks. And so you saw a lot of companies pausing price increases who weren't under these you know, more physical good supply chain constraints that some of the other companies were. And so then what happened is you come out of the pandemic, you see all the government stimulus, Jay Powell on the you know our side, but central bankers around the world and federal and federal you know governments around the world that had you know passed you know protections and stimulus bills to make sure their you know people didn't get thrown out on the streets and didn't lose their jobs and you know so printed a massive amount of you know, fiat currency around the world and so we end up in this post covid place where we've got okay now i haven't done my normal price increases for several years and at a macroeconomic level we have massive 50-year highs of monetary inflation and so i think you know it impacted software all industries got affected but it affected software kind of uniquely um so look i think at at, at any pricing is is simple but it's not easy for any decision, and this applies to our discussion on inflation, you really need to evaluate two things. As a business leader, as I make a change, what is my difference in expected revenue? And what is the difference in costs incurred? All right? And so as I think about, okay, I've, I've got, you know, inflation is a cost, it's eroding the value of you know, the revenue you bring in, right? And it's, you know, then you're seeing, you know, in, it depends on your internal cost of goods, but we also saw, you know, uh, cost of labor spike, right? And and, and tech, tech companies were very impacted by that. Of course, they were also raising massive uh, amounts of money from venture capitalists, et cetera, and, and uh, doing IPOs. Um, so they had a lot, there was a lot of money sloshing around in that ecosystem, but, you know, there were, you know, record amounts of uh, money being paid to, technical talent to you know, fund this this boom uh, and and if you look at the PL of a software business it's mostly your engineering staff and your and your and the people right because the marginal cost of goods sold is, is relatively small right the bits are, are have very low variable uh, cost 
So we've got to look at, okay, we're losing this on the cost side. If we raise prices, we're, we may see some people leave, but then we're also possibly going to see an uptick. And so you really need to be thinking about modeling that out. So one of the ways, a couple, a couple of tactics, if we can look at it, I would say overall, you know, having a clear goal at the executive level for your inflation revenue opportunity is clear. So you want everyone to be on the same page of like, what is it we're trying to achieve? Because that's going to be, you know, for anything you're doing in business, right? You should always have a goal. Like the, it's the, if, if, if everyone's running around just doing activities, clear goal, like you're, you're probably in a bad place. Right. But, but I think this is, you know, this is one of those that areas. Goal you sure. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it goes without saying, but you'd be surprised how often that is the case when people are like, I want to optimize my pricing. And you say, what are you optimizing? And they're like, we don't know. And you're like, well, then I, that question is sort of meaningless. So we need to, <laughs> we need to say, when you say I want to optimize my pricing, it needs to be for what? Are we optimizing to you know maximize profit, to maximize revenue, to maximize customer LTV, right? Some other unit economical. Um, you know, and then we want to look at, look, we all, not all products and not all customers are the same. Right? So we don't just want to take a price increase and spread it like, butter over bread, right? Eat completely evenly. There's going to be some pockets of customers that are going to be more price sensitive. There's going to be some products that are more price sensitive. So if you're running a business and you've got a portfolio of products, some of those products might be an intensely price competitive, more commoditized spaces. Some of those products might be highly differentiated. And the ones that are highly differentiated, you're going to have more ability to raise prices because the value you create is 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 unique and you know customers can't really leave and go get it elsewhere right or or maybe you're you've uh, with a lot of what i see you know a lot of software companies are just generally undercharging and so they they haven't been truly charging the amount uh, for the value they have and then some other things you want to maybe look at are like has inflation influenced customer preferences so you know one of these we, we <laughs> this is the Longest run up to a possible recession I've ever seen in my life. Um, I think everyone keeps waiting for for some sort of hard landing, and it, it keeps on getting pushed out further. We'll we'll see. I don't want to jinx us. Knock on wood. Uh, but you know, inflation and recession tend to go hand in hand for whatever reason. Now they're those are disjointed, and uh, I, I don't know what exactly is going on. But in a recession as well, you're going to have a shift in value propositions from your customer base. So if you think about the go-go market, you know, when everyone's flying high with all those stimulus in 2020 and 2021, it's, it's all about let's maximize market share, let's get revenue, let's grow as fast as possible. And as it shifts to, oh no, we've got super high inflation, we're heading into recession. Now potentially it changes to your customers are more enamored with how is this going to save us money? How is this going to reduce our risk? Um, and so th that can shift your differentiated value in the market. That can shift how customers are evaluating, you know, your, your price value ratio. So we want to think through kind of all those things, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, thinking through those at a, at a very high level. Again, we could talk about this at, at length. I'll, 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 I'll stop there. Hopefully that, that gives enough of a taste of, of how people can, can start to unwind this. You know, it almost feels like a global economics in terms of macroeconomics. 
understand the macroeconomics and identify how the growth is happening for the product and factor that into your risk profile of the leaders right and then create those models mm. i love the i love it and i hope mm. our listeners also have understood even 3% of what you told dan they would be wiser of the lot <laughs> around product pricing <laughs> uh, <laughs> so dan uh, let me ask this uh, you know what what kind of a challenges did you have when you had to start becoming a consultant i mean leaving a cushy job leaving a nice job right uh, it is not easy what how did you make that happen what how did you make the decision gayatri asked him what challenges he faced when he became a consultant the answer to that question and a lot more interesting stuff in the next episode don't miss it We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com.